0: Falcon, a pulp culture podcast by three geeky millennials. Today it is just me and Anya and we're joined by a special guest, Philippa. But first, I'm Shan Bui. I am a pulp culture journalist in DC and a writer for Slash Film.
1: I am Anya Crittenton, Associate Editor at The Tracking Board. And
2: Philippa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Sarah, I'm Philippa, and um, I live in New Zealand. Um, at university, I did an honours degree and a master's degree, and I majored in English literature, and I also did classical studies in Japanese. Um, I'm currently working in as as an administrative assistant for one of the companies in town, uh, but in three weeks, I will be moving to Japan to work as an assistant language teacher in Osaka um, Prefecture on the JET program. So that's,
1: that's me. excellent. Sounds wonderful. And yet, <laughs> despite this prevalence of Japan and Japanese culture, that is not what our episode is about today.
2: <laughs> yeah, You've already done one about that,
1: right? Yeah, Yes, we yeah. have. Um, so, this week, we are going to be talking about British media. So, we are going international, um, but we're going all the way over to the UK. As you guys might have noticed in past episodes, I am quite fond of British media. There's a little bit of anglophile in me i suppose and so today that is what we're going to be talking about so to get started we're each going to say a little bit about our relationship with british media very briefly and then kind of dive into it um in terms of its accessibility and people's impressions of it um and fun things like that so i will get started and just say uh, i got into british media middle school high school it um Started mostly as a fandom thing um, on Live Journal when a lot of my friends on LJ were into shows like Doctor Who and Merlin and Skins, and I started watching all of them. Um, and then my Jane Austen obsession began and British rom com and it all just kind of spiraled from there. And I was that dumb kid in high school who thought Britain was better than <laughs> America and everything about Britain was better, but I had a very romantic view of Britain and i have since grown out of that but i am still
0: fond of british media so
1: that is my history with it
0: um ht what about you so i kind of had a conden- a condensed version of what you went through anya i first got into doctor who i think it was through the the re- it was through the new who on netflix and i watched that and just like fell in love and that was in my senior year of high school, going into college. I fell fully into that fandom when I was in college. I got, like, Doctor Who poster. got the little sonic screwdriver. From then, I went on to Sherlock, Merlin, Misfits, the whole shebang. Um, I did follow, like, you know, a bunch of Anglophile Tumblrs and Twitters. I tried to pick up some of the slang, but it didn't work out, because everyone's was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think... It ended actually, once I started to fall out of love with Doctor. Who. So I haven't really gone back to in you know, the Anglophile media ever since, at least not to the same degree of fervent passion that I had back in those first years of college. Still have my son a screwdriver though. <laughs> nice, nice. Cool. Um so Philippa, what about you? I suspect
1: yours is gonna be quite different than our experience
2: completely different I mean for one I've actually never watched Doctor Who Um, (laughs) but the reason I guess that Anya has asked me on is to to give me kind of a different perspective on imported British media and um, or exported I guess but and to me growing up in New Zealand British media it, it was never really a separate thing from just the rest of what was on TV um, so, and even now, our our main kind of programs that you see on our main channels, uh, will be a, a pretty even split between New Zealand productions, Australian productions, UK and US productions. Um, so you get a pretty even split between those four, or relatively, it depends on the time of year. Um, so I grew up watching, um, British shows, British, um sitcoms and um and british children's cartoons and british films like romantic comedies and stuff like that and so it's always been a big part oh and also british soap operas so it's always been a big part of my media diet and I've never really considered it as separate um from the rest of the stuff that I watch and yeah, I mean, I think I think a part of that is probably because my mum is from the UK, she's from Scotland, but also I think that's just what's on TV in New Zealand. Um, and even now, like, when I was talking about this podcast that I was going to do, I was talking to my parents, and I was like, can we even think of one American TV show that we as a family regularly watch, and we <laughs> couldn't think of a single one? <laughs> Like mum has just finished binging suits, and you know I will watch American TV shows on on Netflix and stuff like that. I, I love Brooklyn Nine Nine is one of my favourite shows of all time, and Elementary as well. But so good, yeah. But and, and in terms of what we actually watch on the television, it's it's pretty much all Australia, New Zealand, and British TV programming. So
1: very different. Yeah. Um, Than us. Um, I think one of the biggest differences, we mentioned this before the podcast started, is Mm -hmm. that for HT and I, our introduction to British media and our kind of love of it came almost entirely through fandom, whereas yours, Philippo, was just much more part of your daily life, just kind of naturally. Um, Why do you guys think that Americans have this romantic? romanticized view of britain and british media and why we kind of latch onto to it the way that i did
0: so Oops. i think it's funny because our first probably our first um exposure to british media or um, culture would be through harry potter and oh. i don't think that harry potter ever really converted anyone to being a true anglophile because like, it was just so global and massive but sure. I definitely feel like that fed into, um, you know, future Anglophiles. Um, I don't know, obsession with that culture um, and mm-hmm. fixation with it, and that kind of like enchanting fantasy element, sort of. Right. Through. So, like,
2: so almost like portraying Britain as almost a, a more up-to-date Tolkien-esque fantasy mm-hmm. world. Kind of that, um, that kind of a cross section of like Diana Wynne Jones and Harry Potter and and Neil Gaiman even. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're
1: all Neil Gaiman fans here, so. Yeah. yeah. Nice shout out. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think my whole thing as well was uh, Harry Potter was a big part in that kind of like the, the mystical land of it and like uh, the history of Britain, um and how different it was from American history. I think uh, with rom-coms especially, they're just so charming in a way that a lot of American rom-coms aren't. Um, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) It's very interesting looking at rom-coms, looking at American rom-coms, versus British rom-coms, and I feel like the Mm. culture is so well represented in each of the difference in the country's cultures. Mm -hmm. And I was always just so taken with just how, like, charming the British rom-coms were and, like, floppy-haired Hugh Grant. Ah,
2: and it, I was like, that's what life really that. should be like. It's funny that you say that just because I think that um, English rom-coms and English comedy in particular is just so much about embracing the awkward. And American comedy is just like, avoid the awkward at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> <You
0: know>? um. <laughs> Although cringe comedy and American comedy has started to... Um, rise now it's starting to become become more popular yeah Mm -hmm. british british comedies and rom-coms definitely like pioneered that it was all about like that wry awkward humor um in like the hugh grant comedies and then you can see it in the office for example the original version yeah Mm
2: -hmm. i think the office is one of those things that like I, I actually can't watch the American version because it's so zany and it's so off the wall. Mm-hmm. Whereas the it, the English one is so restrained, but it's so much, but it's also so painful to watch because there's so much that you can recognise. <laughs> in it, as somebody who has worked um, for a, for a big corporation a few years ago in an office job like that, it it's just. One of my colleagues said he just he couldn't watch it. It was so depressing because he recognized so much of his own life in it um, and oh so no. much of his own experiences in it. Um, that actually makes it a little so bit more sad. So I thought sad. that was really interesting. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's the thing is that the office, the UK office, it, like I don't think you're supposed to really like any of them except for maybe Martin Freeman's character mm-hmm. um, who pioneered the looking at the camera like he's in the office like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was actually started in the UK, not the U.S. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never watched The U.S. Office. I feel like I should because Hot Dad Steve Carell, but um, which is real HT. Uh, I'm not going to dig <laughs> into <laughs> listen, that. <laughs> listen, yeah, Steve Carell
0: this.
2: can get it.
0: No, this is I like, don't know how you can't see I it. Just, he's like, objectively he's not, like handsome. He's not my type. Same. I just, but I can see why he's on. I like head. I like <laughs> more sharp edges in my older character actor men. I don't know. That's why you like Robert Carlyle. Why I like Robert Carlyle? He's all sharp edges and just like weird looking and weird hair. I love it. Ah.
1: <laughs> Watching Get Smart was on TV the other day, and I was like, "All right, Tube Carl. All right, I see you." Let know know. <laughs> Anyway, that is not what we're talking about when we went to the office, so yeah. I had to bring up my crush on C. Krell because it's making a comeback and people are finally realizing it after years of saying it. All right, Anya. Yeah, back <laughs> to British media. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I think comedy is a really big thing, uh, as mm. we've mentioned with British media, and I didn't really watch a lot of British comedies when I was in my whole Angle style phase, mostly because they weren't, Fandom related, mm. so I just never had exposure to them, and I don't think that young Anya probably got British comedy. <laughs> it's definitely another level.
0: We'll, oh, go ahead.
2: I, I was going to say I think also the kind of the big, the big kind of British comedy when we were that age was Monty Python and specifically Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is not the best Monty Python movie. <gasps> Actually, life I... of Brian is the best Monty Python movie. All right, life of Brian is amazing. But so many people just haven't seen it. And um, one of the things is that it was actually really controversial stateside when it was first released. Um, because it's about a man called Brian whose life parallels the life of Jesus. and it's And it's set in first century release and that sort of thing. Um, and so it was super controversial because American Christians thought it was making fun of Jesus, but actually it's, it's satirizing um, the mob mentality of mass of, of mass religion. And the fact that the reaction to the, the, the U S reaction to that film was exactly what that film was satirizing is just the most perfect <laughs> thing.
1: I <laughs> think can, people can't I mean, see HP of like nodding her head
2: it's a lot. America
0: yeah. in a nutshell is all I can say. Yeah.
2: And so it's just and it's just like this perfect encapsulation. Um this perfect thing to me. That 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 kind of stateside reaction to it. And um, I think also that Monty Python and the Holy Grail is the only PG film of theirs. You could arguably you could make an argument for now Enough for something completely different, but that one never really took off. Um, but, like, certainly Life of Brian and Meaning of Life, to me, are much better films. Um, and films that I saw, well, I saw parts of The Meaning of Life before I was even a teenager. Like, I remember Dad getting it out from the video store and showing us some of the skits in it. Um, and that was kind of my first exposure to Monty Python
0: Yeah, HT, do you have any opinions on Monty Python? Are you a Monty Python fan? I'm not a huge Monty Python fan, because I will admit I've only seen uh, the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah. So I know of, like, Ryan, and I've seen a couple clips of it, but I haven't Mm -hmm. seen all of it. Um, Although I do want to point out that it is interesting that we've been, I guess, importing these British culture and uh, media for years, you know, Monty Python, yeah. um, directors like Alfred Hitchcock way back in the uh, yeah. 50s. And, you know, British media and content has been part of American culture at, so for almost as long as, like, American culture has existed. Yeah. I mean, we do have a sort of interchangeable history. <laughs> Not interchangeable, yeah. interconnected history. Yeah. Um, but... I don't think that the concept of like anglophilia has really arisen until recently, um, which I think is interesting because, you know, they've been well, prevalent, thing, but we haven't had like huge followings around them.
2: Yeah. I mean, one thing I found really interesting about your episode last week was Willoughby saying how he had been reading Good Omens and it was just so foreign to him. And I, I, I was like, I was laughing because I was like, "Yeah, I know. It's like really re- that book is really, really English, but to me, it's not so English that it becomes impenetrable."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I feel like more of that culture has been imported to New Zealand because we're still part of the Commonwealth and stuff like that, and we still have the Queen as the head of state. Um, our, we have a lot of expats who move here from the UK, and so I guess that that the the culture is just much more prevalent here, I guess.
0: I think that that's definitely the case. Um, yeah, when I when I read Good Omens, it did feel very British to be to me, but not in the way that like the language was yeah extremely foreign. Because like I think when I was young, I'd read a lot of um, British classics and fantasy mm-hmm. books, so it was somewhat familiar territory for me. So I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. it's like. I recognize a lot of the beats of a British fantasy book and that's what made it British for me. I was like, Oh, it's so quirky. And it's so like, um, just small village, uh, like yeah. small people kind of thing. And I was just like, Oh, yeah. that's how British it was. Not so much the language and like the terms terminology as much as just like the mm. storytelling. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's like, I think there's different exposure to like British culture in throughout America, but I, I will say that I it probably has increased recently, just because fandom culture has become so so strong.
2: And also, yeah. I think streaming sites like Netflix allow for you to have niche shows. Mm. Um, you don't have to appeal to everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. And I, but I also wonder if it is. I don't know if it's just us getting older in general and not being in fandom so much. Mm-hmm. But it, I definitely don't see it as much anymore but that could also just be because I've gotten older and I've sort of let go of my own anglophilia. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely, and also I, I also think in terms of, because it was very much television, mm. I think, for me mm. when it, that started. Because um, the rom-coms were there, but I didn't quite associate them as like, the whole Britishness that sure. I did with British TV shows, and mm. I think the other thing is that America is also just getting better at TV. And I think mm-hmm. we're offering more, um, and that we're not having to turn as much to British TV for kind of intricate dramas,
2: especially. Yeah. For
1: yeah, for small yeah. screen fare. Um, but yeah, although I will say, like, I feel like our comedies still quite aren't quite aren't as unique or weird as some British comedies
2: are. I think it. I think it's more that they just they're encapsulating a different style of comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I say, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a comedy, and that's honestly one of my favorite shows. Yeah. It's genuinely so funny. It's so bad. And... Make sure that... Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's... yeah, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's that there are, there are kind of more comedy shows developing and stuff like that. But again, they're developing in line with the style of comedy that is true to America and true to Britain. I
0: think, yeah. it, I think it is still significant to note that America is still turning to British shows to adapt for American audiences. Sure. Um, and it's still happening. Like, we had Shameless, we, ha- we had The Office, well, I'm going House backwards, of cards. but yeah, House of Cards. Um, sometimes they're even more successful stateside than they were um, mm. from the original British version. Um, what else? Uh, skins, which was not so successful. Um, Wait, did
1: we have a U.S. skins? We had a U.S. Yeah. skins.
0: It was on MTV, oh, I think. Yeah, I saw the preview. Oh my God. didn't look We also good. we tried we tried being human. We tried being human. Um, they're trying misfits now, uh, yes, which will be interesting. I don't know how that'll turn out. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's definitely another yeah, definitely like a huge aspect of American culture.' It's just going back to British shows and british culture and and adapting that as well, so I,
1: I think, think it's interesting any- I think we've always yeah, we've always mined I think British media or British stories. I mean, how many times have Americans adapted Shakespeare? Um, modern Lewis. or otherwise
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm. and we've always just kind of like looked at their kind of culture and their media and storytelling
2: mm-hmm.
1: we've always had that relationship which is interesting yeah definitely um, yeah because I, I wanted to just give a shout out because um, when when Philip and I like became friends I mm. started learning more about kind of more classic British media, I guess, that I wouldn't have been exposed to through fandom. Um, So shows like Vicar of Dibley, um, Mm -hmm. which is utterly delightful. Um, But I think a big one for me was, uh, through Philippa, I watched the comedy Blackadder. And Blackadder has become probably one of my favorite shows, or at least one of the shows I have enjoyed watching the most and still think very highly of Blackadder is brilliant I've never seen anything quite like it
2: seriously like Americans if you have only ever seen Rowan Atkinson and Mr Bean you are missing out
1: yes because that is a
2: completely silent role for him and he he plays it to the hilt but Rowan Atkinson is also really really funny at delivering lines especially when they've got P's and B's in them that sounds absurd but trust me it's, oh, it's so, funny.
0: It's, it's, black it's so is, funny it's so funny so terrible have you seen black adder i have not seen it it's, it's a American detective movie. show correct no no. no no
2: so black adder is Blackadder, um, black adder, it, it has 4 seasons you can call it series it has series um, in in the uk and um, it's 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 How do I even explain it? It's a a historical pastiche, and every season is set in a different historical time period. Mm -hmm. So, the first season is set in kind of like the War of the Roses. The second season is set in the Tudor Court. The third season is set in the Regency era, and... The fourth season is set during World War One, um, and Rowan Atkinson plays the main character Blackadder. Who and he basically plays um, not the same character, but he plays Blackadder throughout all four seasons, um, and. Tony Robinson plays uh, Baldrick throughout all four seasons. So they're they're kind of the main two. But then you also get people coming in um, like um, Stephen Fry's in two seasons of it. Um, Hugh Laurie is in in three seasons of it. He is a
1: revelation Um, in this show.
2: Oh my god. Hugh Laurie as Prince Regent is amazing and he also features in um, the Walking on Broken Glass music video. By Annie Lennox, um,
0: as it's Prince incredible. George. It's yeah, so he, nice. plays,
2: he, he plays Prince George, um, who later became George the Fourth, and he's he's very funny. Yeah, um, like... Miranda Richardson. Yeah, Miranda Richardson plays Queen Elizabeth in the first season, in the second season, um, and then you have uh, you have a, a fifteen minute, I think it was produced for Red Nose Day, short that is set during execution of Charles the First um, and then you have a Christmas special which is set in Victorian England and Victorian London um, and you also have a episode that they made for the turn of the millennium um, about going back in time and it's, it's
0: so good I feel like again, yeah. science a whole, n- whole other aspect of Anglophilia, like you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's the thing is that like um, the 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 sitcoms that I grew up watching. I mean, apart from like Friends, um, like the stuff, the British comedy that I grew up watching was stuff that my um, our parents introduced to us in stages, um, and but like. <sighs> We will, I think, I think Vicar of Dibley, if, well, yeah, probably Vicar of Dibley was probably the first British comedy I ever watched. And that, that was playing, that was being released as a, when I was a kid. Um, so that started in 1992 and, um, you know, it. Eh. I'm confident... I've never sat down and watched it end-to-end, but I I can confidently say that I've seen every episode at least once. Oh, my goodness. Um, And I've seen the Easter and Christmas specials multiple times because um, they'll play the... They'll rerun those on television every Christmas and Easter for a while, and then they'll stop for a couple of years, and then they'll start rerunning them again.
0: I do want to ask, Uh, what is with the reoccurrence of Christmas and Easter specials? Because it seems like every show... Um, every sure. British show has like at least one.
2: I think it's. I think it's just because. Well, I don't know. I'm not English, <laughs> um, but I think it's just because Christmas is such a big, not just not just religious holiday, but secular holiday in in Britain. It's a big thing, um, and so and you know at least here I don't know if it's the same in Britain. Um, you know the. The TV channels don't actually play any advertising on Christmas Day Mm. um, or Boxing Day. That's the other thing is we have Boxing Day. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's a public holiday. Um, And same thing for New Year's. We have a couple of days um, public holiday there. So it, it, it really is kind of this big... Um, cultural holiday where, at least in New Zealand, the country basically completely shuts down for the last like ten days. That th- those ten days at the end of December and the start of January. Um, and you know you have the you have the Queen's message broadcast um, every Christmas Day. Um, you guys probably don't get that, yeah. but we still <laughs> we still get that broadcast to us at six p.m. on Christmas Day. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think, while I know that Christianity is still a much bigger thing, I think in, in the U S than probably America, than probably the UK. And certainly then in New Zealand, I think that Christmas has moved into the realm of being a much more secular holiday. It's, it's, it's much, it's become much more successfully secular, at least in New Zealand. Um, and my impression is that it's the same in Britain as um, that it that it has become a lot more secular. And I mean, also you have to remember that the Vicar of Dibley is is about a vicar, so of course yeah. they're going to so specialise for religious holidays.
0: Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. but then also, um, I mean,
1: like you have every show, like you know, I feel like Doctor Who has Christmas specials, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sherlock has
0: yeah, Christmas
1: specials, and also exactly. I think it's
0: because they don't run. Um, for as many like weeks as American episodes, shows yeah. do, so they have yeah. like the special episodes around the holidays.
2: But so you also sense. have to remember that like a lot of American sitcoms and serial shows will do Christmas episodes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are Christmas, I mean, Christmas um, and, like and <laughs> episodes.
2: And Halloween episodes and Thanksgiving episodes and yeah. stuff like that that, that are spaced in the season to come out. around those holidays. That's
1: very true. And, I mean, HD, think of all the Christmas rom-coms. That is true. I mean, one of the best British rom-coms, Love Actually, is set entirely for Christmas. You know what I do
0: want to say I noticed is that um, British movies will set their rom-coms around Christmas, whereas Christmas is generally a family holiday in the U.S., and most of, like, the Christmas movies um christmas american movies are kind of more family oriented and less romantic so i think it's like it's really interesting that at least from like the british rom-com point of view christmas is almost more of a romantic holiday than just a family yeah i'm holiday.
1: trying to think of like well it's That's funny cause I was gonna say like I heard-
0: oh the holiday
1: which is one of my favorite rom-coms but then you have half of it set in england yeah, it's that's a, interesting it's very... that you guys
2: say that. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get that impression. But Not really, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, other than love, actually, I, I can't think of a a British
0: the holiday. Film yeah, half of the holiday. <laughs> yeah, half of the holiday.
1: Um... I well, it's funny because I I feel what it is is that Christmas plays more of a part in British rom coms. I mean, I think of like obviously, I don't think of Bridget Jones as a Christmas rom com. But Christmas definitely right. plays a part in Bridge sure. Jones, the way that a lot of rom coms here
2: don't. Sure. I guess. Yeah. I think I just think when I think of Christmas movies, um, they're almost entirely American movies. Now when I think of like Christmas specials or Christmas cartoons or something like that, It's pretty much entirely British stuff. Mm. Um, So stuff like Robbie the Reindeer or The Snowman, which are things that we watched as kids, and none of my American friends have ever heard of it. We have our own Christmas. Yeah, exactly, exactly,
0: which
2: which play here, but they don't play during prime time. They play in the middle of the day when you're, like, sleeping off the fact that you got up at 6 o'clock to (sighs) open your presents. Um, but things like Robbie the Reindeer or The Snowman will play um, will play during primetime hours.
1: Yeah. Um, I wanted to move on to another aspect of British media as well, which we have uh, talked about before in a past episode, um, but it wasn't limited entirely to British, although it was mostly. But that is that one of my biggest things with British media is period dramas. Mm-hmm. And that was always... Very big for me in my consumption of British media. Um, Partially having to do with the fact that I love British literature. Um, Mm. But Britain, I mean, I feel like one of the biggest things, you know, like BBC and PBS now have the relationship with Masterpiece Theater and Masterpiece Classics, but I feel like Britain really did, uh, or really does period dramas in a way that America
2: never really does Mm. at all. I think I think America in the last couple of decades has been has been trying to dip into it more and more though. Like you have the confusingly named North and South.
1: Okay, but North and South okay. <laughs> Listen to me. First off, the US North and South, just like the UK North and South, is a classic. And I love it. And one of my favorite Patrick Swayze roles of all time. And I love both U.S. and U.K. North and South
2: it doesn't have your chadamites know, in it, so it's clearly inferior. Wait, why is it
1: confusingly
2: named? It's <laughs> during
1: the Civil War, of course, it's called North and South.
2: Yeah, but I mean, it's confusingly named because I ke- I kept jumping on Wikipedia when I was reading Gaskell in 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 university and kept being like, this is not a, this is not at all what this what I'm reading sounds like. <laughs>
1: To be fair, the U.S. North and South is also based on a series of books.
2: I know, I know, but yeah, it was it was confusing for me at the time.
1: (laughs) But I feel like, other than kind of like North and South, I can't really. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are big American period dramas. Mm. Um, I mean,
2: we've you know we have adapted Little Women every generation or so. I mean, I would say Little Women is
0: the big one. Um, it's because America has a generally shorter history than Britain. So we have less history and literature to pull from. Um, also, definitely. Adams. Is it Adams? John Adams? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, John Adams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, is it just... Yeah, it's
2: John Adams. It's called John Adams, but I mean, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is also I mean, very good. I'm, yeah, and I, I think a lot it. of the no. American drama, the, a lot of the American period dramas are antebellum stuff as well. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, and I... I feel like even the ones that we do have, though, like, it's far fewer than what Britain has produced. Oh, great, yeah. So, like, period drama is, like, a actual, like, staple there, I feel yes. like, in a way. Mm. And then I feel like a lot of period dramas that Americans tend to love, you have, like, people are like, oh, Downton Abbey, or, like, sure, Up yeah. Downstairs, yeah. the ones that, again, we've imported mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we kind of become obsessed with. But I will say I love those lavish British period dramas and no one (laughs) quite does them I mean the BBC you know part of their broadcasting is known for it and they'll take on even stuff that's not British they used to War and Peace and Mm
0: -hmm. it's quite good yeah they definitely perfected the art of period dramas I feel like a lot of the period dramas for US shows tend to be somewhat drier um, because they stick, they hew more closely to the historical than they do to like um, some, I feel like some British period dramas tend to get very soapy, but in a good way. They know oh, yeah. how to play with those elements. But American period dramas see themselves as very prestigious, so they do not hue as soapy as like the British period dramas do. This is my impression.
2: I want to talk about soap operas because. So, can we just put that on a little poster aside? for when we...
0: <laughs> Of course. Yeah. we
2: will talk about soap oh. operas. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think, I think the other thing is is that um, British, British period dramas are much more commonly based on works of fiction. Now, there'll be works of fiction written in the time period, but, you know, you, you, you get a lot of Dicken, Dickensian um, adaptations, you get a lot of Austen adaptations, you get a lot of Shakespeare adaptations... Um, and the fact that they um you know get into um and the Brontes as well there's there again there's there's pretty much a watering heights almost every generation um so I, I think I think like like you were saying, it's a little bit different to um to the American ones just because I don't know that I think the American ones are more kind of they're more drawing on that history mm-hmm. rather than the fictionalized version of that history does that make sense yeah, no,
0: that makes yeah sense. and that
1: actually makes me think of the fact that like we do have a lot of really great american authors in oh, yeah. the history of literature and i it is interesting that we haven't adapted them more mm-hmm. like you would think that people would want to expand and adapt on a lot of like ed Allan poe stories for example yeah, yeah I love
2: that. like you would think that i feel like that's a very like untouched, like, minor I, stories. I would love to see an adaptation of Reuter, Murder in the Room org. Yeah. Because the way that ends is just astonishing.
0: That's it's such a I, rich little well of stories that they really haven't tapped into.
2: Yeah,
1: and there are so many other American authors that I feel like, um, like Fitzgerald wrote more than The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. There are other yeah. novels that he wrote that yeah. would make for good movies and I think it's interesting that we don't really adapt American authors as much. Hmm. That's true.
2: That's also interesting.
1: We adapt more British authors than our own.
2: (laughs) Um, I actually Um, remember the 96, no, the 95 Pride and Prejudice. I remember when that was being broadcast on television here. The Colin Firth one? Yeah, the Colin Firth one. I remember that. It was played on... We quite often well here um, Sunday nights on Channel One is usually a British drama show, and so and that's been that way for years. And so that was on the Sunday Theatre. It was it was the the it was Pride and Prejudice um, via Andrew Davies for six weeks. And mum, ta- I remember mum taped it, and eventually we bought the DVD, and then eventually I bought the Blu Ray. So it's just been kind of always there <laughs> never and, and that's a, yeah exactly and that's a good example of like how I never really discovered British media it was just always there just part of your life yeah hmm. um, alright so I think for
1: one of the final discussion points, uh, Philippa what do you want to say about British soap operas well I'm just you interested have a bar share. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah well I think it's one thing that, you, that America doesn't import at all and yet My impression is, at least, um, certainly in in New Zealand, um, the British soaps kind of take up a lot of prime time here, Um, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, um, but the American soap operas that we import are played pretty much at 2 p.m. during the weekdays. That's the only time they're played here, too. That's when they're played here, yeah. Yeah, so nobody watches them. Whereas the the English the English um, soap operas like Coronation Street and EastEnders and stuff like that, they I believe are broadcast during prime time in England, and so they're broadcast during prime time in New Zealand as well. And not everybody watches them, and people are still derisive of them and stuff like that. And I've never watched American soap operas, so I don't have anything to compare. But like some of the writing on Coronation Street is just so it it's such a deft strong, it's such deft, strong writing. I mean, it's always dramatic and melodramatic and ridiculous. Um, but it's, it's kind of a how-to-write-a-soap-opera 101 mm. in that the characters are fascinating and engaging but they're also not taking it so seriously that it becomes unwatchable.
1: I feel like soap operas here are pretty much only looked out upon.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, they are too here. Yeah. No, um... They're looked down I'm upon, the and late. they're just there for the housewives to uh, pass the time, essentially. Although they oh, have, yeah. they have uh, jump-started a few famous actors and actresses' careers. Robin Wright started off in soap oh, operas, um, as did Sarah Michelle Geller from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, I will say, um,
1: confession time, I have watched soap operas in my life. Um, my two, and this was mostly, like, middle school or so, um, my mom watched them, and I kind of got into them with her, and my two were Days of Our Lives and General Hospital. hmm And I watched those, um, not for a short amount of time, but for a
2: lengthy <laughs> amount of time. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I fully expect, I fully expect that, um, I, I fully feel like I'm saying controversial, something slightly taboo and controversial here by saying that actually the the writing on Coronation Street is Mm. pretty fucking solid. Um, (laughs) But Anya, can you just tell me a little bit about, um, I guess, the kinds... I I guess I just, I want to kind of do a little bit of compare and contrast here, because I think that um, something like Coronation Street and its East Enders are, like, very embedded in the English cultural psyche, um in a similar way to but and yet they're not imported to to the to America at all Interesting. um yeah, so can you just like tell me a little bit about i guess the style in um very not to embarrass you. But. Yeah. No,
1: no, I mean, I've I've gotten to a point where, like, I fully embrace the fact that I used to watch soap operas, um, mm-hmm. and there's, I still have some fond memories of soap operas. There are characters mm-hmm. that I still love on the soaps yeah. that I watched. Like, whatever. Um, but they are. They're very melodramatic. Um, yeah. They're not very well written. Yeah. I think sometimes they can do certain storylines that are definitely better than others. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of just, like, high absurd drama um you know like affairs and babies that aren't yours and so like one of the storylines on um general hospital when i watched it one of my favorite characters lulu was basically kidnapped by this villainous character and she was like frozen basically and she was like his ice princess oh my Um, gosh Yes, so like we will get like absurd things. Like you will have normal storylines, like, oh, like she's cheating on him with her, and like, oh, like she's having someone else's baby, or he committed a crime. Like you'll have kind of like those just melodramatic, regular life things, but then you'll have like absurd.
2: Like, see, when you I remember- said absurd, I was thinking like the high melodrama kind of absurd, and I was going to be like, oh yeah, Carnation Street does that too, but to my knowledge, no one on Carnation Street has ever been frozen. Um, <laughs> and to be it. fair, Lulu survived it and she is still
1: going strong. Exactly. Her man Dante, so, That's um, Jake, I mean, James Franco was on General Hospital for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like recently, like this was like when I was in high school, he was on it. He was doing like research for a role he was doing, and okay. so like he had a part on General Hospital. Um, and he played just like this crazy person.
0: Um, <laughs> I remember that. It was like a bit of um a stunt in a way people are like what yeah. why is it being yeah style no, like so... James Franco on here
1: yeah so I feel like we'll have storylines similar to what you'll see on Coronation sure. Street and then we'll also just go like wild
0: yeah okay
2: yeah no that's interesting and I and I don't know um because the other thing that my impression of American soap operas is that they're very middle class as well would that be fair I think so yeah upper whereas, middle class definitely yeah, whereas Coronation Street and East Enders and stuff like that are like firmly working class. Like they're That's set in working class neighborhoods. Um, Coronation Street is set in Manchester, and East Enders is set in in London, and they they are very firmly working class. So you get these like high melodrama um, plot lines where people get murdered or die on their wedding night or. Um, um, have affairs, or have, oops, babies, or, and teenage pregnancies, and all that kind of stuff, um, but it's, but you also have, you'll have funny plot lines, and you'll also have plot lines that are about, uh, just stuff that people deal with in their life, um, like someone gets, like, what are the ones... And I know that we're we're more caught up with East Enders than, than with Coronation Street, but one of the ones that East Enders is doing at the moment is about a woman who has lost her job and she has to go on the benefits and how she deals with her feelings of pride mm. and having having to what she sees as lowering herself to do that. Wow, um interesting. And, and the feeling and, and how she feels like a failure and stuff like that and how she feels like she's taken all these risks to try and remake her life. As a fifty-year-old, and yeah, it's it's kind of all falling apart. So you get those kind of more, not mundane storylines, but it's like slice of I life guess, almost. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like highly dramatic slice of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I mean, like, I don't I don't watch either of these shows religiously, um, but my parents have been watching Coronation Street for as long as I can remember. So it's always been like on when it's on in the background, and so. It's it's, so I know a lot of the characters, and I know, and I remember a lot of the storylines and stuff like that. And it's the same with EastEnders since they've moved back home. Um, Again, it's it's on every evening, and so if if I want to be up in the lounge, if I want to be up in the living room, then well, I I don't pick what we watch on TV, so that's (laughs) what we watch. Um, And but again, like I don't find these shows utterly intolerable, I actually find them quite watchable, and it's not something I'm going to ever bother watching um, in in my own house or anything like that, but I have no problem I have mo- no problem sitting watching it while it's on um, unlike some shows which just I will leave the room because I'm just like, this just is going to make me angry <laughs> We definitely have
1: those. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, that's a really interesting. I have never really thought of... I would always think of, like, our different movies and our different, like, drama shows, but soap operas I had never really considered as being a sort of compare and contrast for the type of media, but that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I also feel like... Um, this is going to sound really mean, but, um, like, I guess... Say it. Uh, I guess reality shows as well... Um, there are some reality shows, and I'm, I'm not talking about like *Geordie Shore* or anything. I'm talking about shows like *24 Hours* in A&E, um, and even *Gogglebox*. Shows that are produced in Britain and they're reality TV shows, but they're just they don't they don't have the slickness of American equivalents of those shows, and like. People have, like, American friends have been to me, like, um, you know, strangest ER stories or something, whatever the one that's on TLC is. And, like, I tried to watch it once because we have a TLC import channel, really. It's called Vice. And I just found it unwatchable because it was so overproduced. And it was reenactments and the acting was so subpar. Yeah. And it was just, whereas 24 hours in A&E is literally, like, um... They set up cameras in a hospital in England and they just they just splice together a, sh- a, a an episode um from twenty four hours of footage. Wow.
0: Um
1: very different. that sounds more like a yeah. kind of like true crime yeah
0: sort okay, of like yeah. true
1: life sort of rea- T V whereas reality T V when you say that here I think scripted. of like I think of like, yeah, the it's, it's, like think Big Brother
2: of... and stuff like that, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the Bachelorette, which I will say this season is bomb. And Rachel, <laughs> if you're listening, you better have chosen Peter. Or I'm gonna be very upset because Peter is perfect. Yeah. He is the best Bachelorette suitor ever. Just putting that out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that sounds more like the whole our true crime sort of like stuff and our really like absurd like Yeah surgeries
2: I mean, and Yeah, I mean I couldn't really think of another 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 way to—they're almost like reality documentaries.
0: Yeah, more sound, than reality TV. They sound yeah. more earthy and documentary style than our reality. Yeah, they TV. are. Um, yeah, yeah. It is very. They can be very absurd.
2: Mm. For another sure. one that's really another one that Mum loves to watch of those is One Born Every Minute, which is about it's same concept, but it's about it's about mater, a maternity ward. And she so it's like just, what, yeah, yeah, and so it's just it's just it's about mothers who come in and have their babies and okay. and it's it's just it's a really quite lovely show, and it's nice to see and it it's interesting to see the see the process and and what different people choose, and they always do little interviews with them, um and they talk about like how the couple met and
0: it sounds so yeah, much more genuine than the child. shows we get, because <laughs> for some reason that that came that brought to mind a reality show that I had watched for a little bit called um I didn't know I was pregnant. Yep. Oh <laughs> yes, yes! And it's like yeah, that really it's illustrates the difference, because so like American reality shows are so like salacious and over the top. Sensationalized, right? yeah, sensationalized, and exactly, and yeah. like here you have this lovely show, this lovely British reality show, just like. About lives being born, and then on the other side, it's like I didn't know I was pregnant. This baby fell yeah. onto my foot. I dropped it in the toilet. Yeah, that's I funny. went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. It was amazing, Yeah, <laughs> that's um, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so that that's another that's another aspect that I just that just kind of came to mind is that like when I watch American TV, at least when we're not talking about like the the comedies and stuff like that, when you're talking. It's more about game shows or reality shows or anything like that. The American ones seem super overproduced. And I mean, that's not to say that British TV shows can't be overproduced, because Sherlock is also super overproduced <laughs> and not in a good way. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's interesting if we're talking about differences and different perceptions um, of imported British media.
1: Yeah. That is very interesting, and I think it's a good way to wrap up our long episode, which turned into sort of a compare and contrast, which is (laughs) interesting. No, No, that's that's all good. I mean, it's interesting.
0: Cultural Um, differences are fascinating.
1: Yeah, they are. Um, So let's move on to our last segment, and what is that, H.T.?
0: I really, 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 really like you, but I need to tell you something. So since you're our guest this week, why don't you go first? Is there anything in pop culture that you really like?
2: Um, well, I just finished reading a book. It came out a couple of years ago, and it's called SPQR. I know this isn't really pop culture, but bear with me. Um, so this was written by the classicist Mary Beard, and it's about the first 1,000 years of the Roman Empire. So that makes it sound really dry. <laughs> um, but as someone who's as someone who's like never really been interested in in Roman in Roman history, like I'm big into ancient Greek history, but ancient like I did a Greek and Roman history class at university, and I just kind of tuned out as much as I could for the Roman portion. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I found it the thing that I really liked about it is that one, it was very readable. Um, I think I, I finished the first I got through the first 150 pages or so in about three days so I, I thought it was really readable but also I thought it was really interesting because she takes great pains to like not just focus on people like Cicero and the emperors she actually tries to delve into as much as possible looking at archaeological records looking at um, the history of working class people in 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 the Roman world or women in the Roman world, and that sort of stuff and and tries to give a more holistic look at the at Roman culture and it, it's difficult because you're very limited by what you have in terms of what's extent, but at the same time, I thought it was just a really interesting readable look at um, the ideas that are kind of behind that were kind of behind. Um, the Roman Empire and stuff like that. And it's very much more about the kind of cultural movements and themes than particular people. So, like, the emperors are basically covered in two chapters and not in any depth. She's going for breadth rather than depth. But you are looking at at more kind of political themes and ideas and stuff like that 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 drove Rome um, as an entity. And it's interesting to see how those are actually still reflected in modern culture.
0: All right. Bring us some education into our really likes this week, so (laughs) thank you for that. Um, Anya, what is your really like this week?
1: All right, I'm going to go the opposite route (laughs) and do something that is not education-based at all, because this past holiday weekend, I finally saw Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled. I've been talking about this movie for months and it finally happened, and it was so great. I loved it. I don't think it's her best film. For me, that's still Marie Antoinette, but Beguiled is very good. Um, it was a lot more subdued than I thought it was going to be, but I, I liked it for what it was. Um, one of the things that really I really noticed, um, besides Colin Farrell's,
0: everything um oh my god yeah the camera yeah. Really lingered it was fun yeah it does
1: <laughs> like bless thank you Sophia like I really needed that you know, just an hour and a half of Colin Farrell looking very fine um it was very funny like mm-hmm. it's a really funny film um and meant to be like darkly funny but it was so weird my audience was not laughing <laughs> <laughs> so Aww. I was sitting there like cracking up during scenes like I know HD, you've seen it and I know, like the apple pie scene at dinner was hysterical Yeah. anytime Elle Fanning looks at Colin Farrell and she's just like hi I was like <laughs> losing it it's so funny because um, she really plays up that kind of like the awkwardness of what's going on the kind of like the heightened sensations that the women are feeling <laughs> um, but I really liked it um, I thought it was really beautiful the cinematography and the sound was gorgeous in the film um, and I'm really glad that she won at Cannes because uh, she won best director for this film mm-hmm. which I'm mm-hmm. very proud of her for yay Sophia yay. so I really liked The Beguiled and Colin Firth. Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell. <laughs> I also like Colin <laughs> Firth, to be
0: honest and it was an American period drama It was an American of drama. Mm -hmm. (gasps) There you go. An American take on the gothic romance as well, because it's It's Southern Gothic, which is nice. Um, Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Anya.
1: (laughs) So, HT, what do you really like for the week?
0: So, my really like for this week is kind of a self, shameless self plug. Um, (laughs) I wrote an article on Wednesday of ranking my top ten movies of 2017 so far. And Anya's very disappointed in me because I did not include The Beguiled on there. And Get Out should be higher. Get Out was number six, okay? It was... Alright, it should be, like, number one. Well, you haven't seen half of the movies in my, like, top five, so you can't complain, Anya. You're on top ten
1: list, Anya. (laughs) I haven't seen The Big Sick yet. I can't. So good. I know. I'm going to love it.
0: This is my way of... um, grouping in all the great movies I saw last weekend, which were um The Big Sick, Baby Driver, well, the bug isn't in there, but I also saw it that weekend, and um Okja. So, it was a great weekend for movies, and it's been a surprisingly good year for movies as well, because, like, I know when I was starting hmm. to compile my list, I was like, oh, is this year, like, okay? We've only had, like, one or two standouts. Like, no, actually, we've had quite yeah. a few, like, original unique good films and from like the both 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 the blockbuster side as well as the mid-budget indie side so i'm really glad
1: you included colossal on your list because colossal while it's kind of come and gone at this point Mm -hmm. colossal was still so good
0: it was so good i really liked how it was so unpredictable and unexpected I had no idea where I was going while I was watching the film. And um, apparently I'm the only one in Slash film to include Kuwaf on my list. But I think it deserves a mention just because it was so good and smart. you um, want to know why, H D? Why? Feminism. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's why. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I also have Wonder Woman on, on my list. so But I'm not the only one to have Wonder Woman on my list. So. Good. There we go. Woke. Well, we will link to your top ten piece. It is a really
1: good piece. HT has really great taste. Um, I really need to see your number one film.
0: Yes, Your Name, the uh, anime film uh, that was a big hit in Japan in 2016 and was just released in the U.S. Mm. earlier this year. It's amazing. It's mes- this metaphysical exploration of love and loss and life and all that jazz. It's really it's, sad. It's
2: biggest... Um, anime film of all time at this point, isn't it? Hasn't it made the most money or something?
0: I think so. It's beaten I think... Spirited Away. I think yeah, so.
2: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I think mm-hmm. so, yeah. I need to check that one out.
1: Um, so mm. we will link to that so you guys can see what HT's top ten of 2017, uh, her list. So, that was our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts on British media or Roman history, or if you've read the book, S-P-U-R, <laughs> or... Uh, your favorite movies of 2017 so far, including possibly The Beguiled, definitely come chat with us.
0: And HT, since Willoughby's not here, where can they do that? Uh, you can find us on Facebook um, if you search for us there. Uh, we are on Twitter at, at Falcon Podcast. You can find us at millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And you can find us on Twitter. I am at htranbui on Twitter. Uh, where are you, Anya? I am at Anya
1: Crittenton on Twitter. And Philippa, where can they find you?
2: Um, I am at Philippa Jane Kay on
0: Twitter. Um, I'll get
2: you guys to link it because my name is terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is our episode for the week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.